Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. It's Monday, December 20th. That means Tyler Rucker, a.k.a. Backcourt B, is once again making his presence known on this podcast. We're talking about the Morning Dunk column that I wrote. If you have not read the latest edition of the Morning Dunk, or if you have to catch up on a few pieces from the No Ceiling Substack, definitely go check that out. No ceilings.substack.com. Please make sure you're subscribed. We are throwing out all kinds of draft content Monday through Friday, constantly publishing. I may even put up a second piece this week. That's how you know. That, that's how you know it's getting crazy. It, listen, listen, Tyler, I only have so much room to cram stuff in, in my in my column. Eventually, Substack just tells me, no, that's too much. You, you got to take it out. So they're, they're, the newsletter is literally making me write another piece this week. But that being said, Tyler, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. I, I hear you. I feel like the draft thoughts are really starting to heat up. You know, you're not the only one. It seems like a lot of guys at the No Ceilings fam is getting the uh, email draft limit coming up soon. So we have a lot of uh, thoughts and comments on this draft class, and I feel like it's we're getting serious. This is the time of the year where we're really heating up. So I'm excited to see uh, – what we got going forward and obviously another exciting uh, piece by Nathan with the morning dunk to talk about. Well, I know that thoughts are pouring out of your head when you actually decide to sit down and do a solo podcast oh, and just basically spew everything out. That's when I knew I'm like, all right, this is, this is getting a little too crazy. We, we, we got to start containing ourselves at least a little bit, but so let's talk about the biggest reason why I wanted to have you on this podcast, apart from you joining me every single Monday, but there is legitimate buzz. There has been around Jabari Smith potentially being the top overall prospect in the 2022 NBA draft. You and I have gone back and forth a little bit about this topic. We've been fans of Paolo Bencaro and Chet Holmgren. And I don't think you or I wanted to jump to any crazy conclusions as to move off of either of those guys in favor of Jabari Smith. I know that, Tyler, you did say before the season that Jabari was going to be one of the prospects that you were watching to be a dark horse for the first overall pick. I don't think anybody thought you were delusional when you said that. However, For once, for once. No, go ahead. <laughs> however, that was something to be taken with a grain of salt, but now mm -hmm. we're about a third of the way through the season. It's hard to ignore it, man. It's really hard to ignore. You go back, you watch the film, you look at a lot of the numbers that I outlined specifically in my column over the last, over 11 games, he's already launched 57 three pointers. That's ridiculous. That's like four or five threes a game. He's hitting them at a 45.6% clip. You can compare those numbers to Ben Caro and Holmgren, who are making far fewer on not even close to the same volume. Smith wins the shooting battle, no contest. Take a look at some of the synergy percentiles. He ranks in the 94th percentile in spot-up shooting, 82nd percentile finishing as the roll man, 77th on jump shots overall, 88th on catch-and-shoot looks. He's pretty much average shooting off the dribble as well as finishing around the basket, but I wouldn't say he's struggling in either area. The argument is that at 6'10", with his size, his length, his coordination, his fluidity, his ability to play on both ends of the floor, his very, very solid baseline offensively 
as that type of stretch forward, stretch big, however you want to classify him, that NBA teams are always looking for. The fact that he not only knows how to use his length on defense, but he also understands how to move his hips. He's very coordinated. He knows how to play angles. He can contain matchups. He seems to always choose the right time when to unleash the double team or the trap in the half court. He's shown some levels of rim protection. It's You just go down the list, and it's like, what can he do? What, what box isn't he honestly checking? And if the only boxes left are that he's not an advanced-level shot creator, that he doesn't sort of have that in his bag similar to Paolo, he's not the same level of rim protector as Chet Holmgren, but yet he offers some of the same versatility on the perimeter and his size. I put out an argument in my column specifically where I also mentioned Kendall Brown, who we're very high on. I think the draft world in general is very high on him. And the biggest surprise behind Kendall Brown is that he's already doing things this year and and being so efficient in ways that I didn't see coming from him, certainly at this point, let alone at all during his freshman year in college. It's like, why should we try and cap his upside when there's probably still a whole bunch of room to his game that, that has yet to grow and fill out? And I feel the same way about Jabari. The fact that Jabari is pretty much a flamethrower scoring 20-plus points per game in every single big match that they've had, it's, it's, it's just getting harder and harder to ignore him as the number one guy. And I feel like it's no longer like the, the, the trendy draft nerd pick to, to make him such over Paolo or Chad. Where, where are you at on Jabari Tyler? Where are you at on, on him in this race for the number one pick so far? Yeah, this is why I love doing the pod with you because I feel like we didn't even discuss this. And, you know, I, I did my latest episode of the Backcourt Pod, the basketball podcast. Uh, I released it Saturday and I kind of vented some draft thoughts. And you write, you wrote about this Monday. It was like the perfect timing. So that's why I was so excited about this episode was I just don't know, Nathan. Like, I, I don't know why we're not seriously having this conversation because he's showing us so much on the basketball court. He's been so impressive. You know, it's one of these ideas I'm just circling about right now. I even think someone on our team, I think Evan Wheeler has had him number one the whole year. And at first I was just like proud of how bold of a take it was by Evan, but I don't know if it's that crazy anymore. Well, what, what really caught me off guard was when I just listened to Chad Ford's latest podcast with Seth Davis and Chad asked Seth's honest opinion of who he would take number one in this draft up to this point. He said Jabari Smith with zero hesitation. And I, I don't think even Seth himself would call him the, the biggest draft aficionado, but he is incredibly intelligent to the game of basketball itself. It's his job to literally cover college basketball. So he's already got an exposure to pretty much every major domestic college prospect you can rattle off. And the fact that he said that so quickly without hesitation, that that that's what really got me thinking and wanting to, to step back and, and study a few games before I wrote my column. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, when, when Seth says it, like you said, he's such a great mind for college hoops. But I kind of am warming up to that idea just because when you're watching Jabari on tape, how fluid he is, how quick he is at 6'10", what he's doing on both sides of the floor, the outside potential. I mean, I just, you know, the whole 
pre, you know, early part of this draft season, we thought it was going to be Paul versus Chet. We were going back and forth. I was expecting that to be kind of the debate the entire year. And now it's like, well, why can't we throw another wrench in there? You know, why can't Jabari be in that conversation of being the top three? Because just what he's showing, you know, if, if you're so high on Paulo as this type of offensive weapon with, you know, versatility on the offensive side of the ball, why aren't you involved, like interested in Jabari? What's holding you back from potentially having him above Paulo? Because Jabari is also impacting the game defensively. I mean, he's showing some, you know, some grittiness. Like we, we saw in that piece by our own Tyler Metcalf at no ceilings. Like he's showing some nastiness defensively. There's some serious tools there with like his quickness, lateral quickness, just the effort. Like I've just been very intrigued. And I, I think you have to seriously start entertaining the idea that there is a, there is a realistic world where NBA teams might be more intrigued with him over any of those two guys, Paulo or Chet, because for what Chet does, like I'm such a big fan with his, you know, me and you have talked about the shot blocking, the defensive awareness, the offensive game hasn't really come around on the level playing field that it's, you know, with Paulo and Jabari and Jabari's doing a little bit more defensively than what Paulo's doing. So, I mean, I'm like you, I was so fascinated to kind of, go back and forth about this because I think this is definitely something that's brewing that we all need to kind of pay serious attention to. And the fact that he's also playing next to a more traditional big man in Walker Kessler and proving that he can kind of play with another big like Jabari's six ten. when you kind of look at him, he, when you actually watch him on the court, he, he kind of looks like he's six eleven or seven feet. And that's been one of these things where NBA teams aren't the most excited nowadays about playing these two twin tower size players together. But Jabari's coordination, his fluidity, his lateral mobility for somebody his size, his feet. You, how, how many podcasts in a row are we going to hit on this, Tyler? You, the feet, the hands. Right. A pluses for both of them. He can catch the ball. He's a coordinated finisher inside. I mentioned his ability to finish off of rolls. He's 82nd percentile scoring out of pick and rolls. He's even shown some passing ability out of those short rolls, which is really that. That's the other thing. I would I would say Chet is much further along than Jabari from a passing perspective. Mm -hmm. He's a much more quick decision maker with the basketball. He gets that ball out in a hurry. Jabari is not quite on that level, but Jabari has shown flashes where he's put together a few assists where he's clearly read through the progressions once he gets that ball in the half court, and he's been able to make the right play in front of him. So that's another thing that that he has in his bag that, who knows, maybe that gets better in time. Maybe as he continues to develop his handle, his dribble skill overall, maybe that is something more that, that comes out of his game. Like, again, it's, we, we run through all the boxes, and he just checks every single one on some level. Does he have the ultimate highest upside in this draft class seat i would have said chet i would have mm -hmm. said chet a month ago in terms of ultimate highest ceiling in this class but now i'm starting to wonder if it is jabari because really like i just said what what would take jabari to that next level it's being a more dynamic shot creator off the bounce well the shot mechanics are down they're fluid i have zero problems with how he's launching that ball and getting it off now it's just about being more comfortable on those one-two dribble pull-ups and making that 
a more frequent part of his game, doing that in, in higher volume. I don't think that's something that he necessarily was asked to show a ton of in high school, but you know the touches there because what was one of the more intriguing things that you and I pointed out when we were evaluating a preseason was that his fadeaway jumpers out of a move in the post were money. So you know that mid-range type of touch is there on tough shots. Now it's just about actually turning, facing his man up, and getting that shot off. But what what to you, Tyler, is really the the next thing or two that he can show you to solidify himself as the number one pick and say that he has the highest upside in the class? Yeah, I, I really do believe, like you're saying, I thought Chet had the highest upside for a long time. Now I'm starting to kind of come around on the idea of like, you, you know, Jabari might not be that far behind. Like his upside might be through the roof as well. Because you you talk about Chet, you know, obviously we're all thinking if the frame, you know, if he puts on some weight with his frame, that could unlock, you know, another type of level for him. You know, if he's dishing out way more contact and power. But what if Jabari adds to his frame? I mean, and you're talking about that type of quickness, that fluidity. I, I still want to see the passing come along. Like you're saying, he's showing some flashes where you kind of find yourself drooling at like, okay, there's a skill there that has a lot of upside that he can still find. It's not like incredibly raw. He has the tools that you're, you're seeing. You're, you're seeing multiple levels of tease when it comes to like checking his boxes like you're talking about. Defensively, we're seeing way better strides than we were expecting. Offensively, I mean, he's doing... Defensive rebounds, bringing the ball up the floor and hitting step back threes. We're just like, what? Excuse me. So, <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. If he keeps showing progress, process in a, in a number of areas like the passing stuff like that, yep. defensively still, I definitely think that there's a realistic, you know, scenario in which NBA teams could be more intrigued with him because, you know, we did. Like, Nathan, this is out of nowhere. I'm kind of throwing you on the spot, but we did our mock draft, the no ceilings, and Detroit had the first pick, and we all went with Paulo. But when I was doing the write-up for Paulo, because each of us had specific write-ups, you know, I was like, what if Detroit was more intrigued with Jabari here? Like, what if they're thinking maybe Jabari's upside, especially with the defensive side of the ball, next to a guy like Isaiah Stewart, you know, why couldn't that potentially be a curveball? I don't know. It's just, it's really fascinating because I do think the upside with Jabari, which what he's shown compared to the other twos, like Paulo and Chet, it's something you got to pay attention to because the tools are special on both sides of the floor. And I, I know how great of an offensive threat Paulo can be, but I do think Jabari could, you know, Intrigue. Well, Jabari NBA just fits so much more clean with yes, every single NBA team. Like he he fits no matter where you want to put him. And right. when we were in the war room making that mock draft, I was the first one to put my foot down and say, at, at number two, even though we, we could have very well made a splash, but I made a specific argument. Like Orlando's not that far down the road from where Jabari's playing the majority of his college games. Right, like, right. You can't tell me that that college staff, I mean, that, 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 NBA staff isn't going to go to that college for so many games this year and and not drive back thinking, oh my God, this has to be our guy. This has to be our guy. Like, especially if Orlando gets the number one pick. Like, I, I honestly think it's case closed. I don't know if there's going to be much of an argument in the world. I, I think that's exactly what we're trying to talk about right now is because 
we were doing that mock draft exercise and we got to the second pick and we were all of a sudden having a debate about Jabari. And it was like, well, he also could be in the debate at one. And now the debate's really serious at two, depending on the fit. So I'm like, and that was just, that was just Orlando. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned Detroit too, like Detroit. What's the biggest thing that Cade Cunningham needs around him right now? Guys who can knock down easy spot up threes. Right. that's the one thing that we know Jabari can do in volume. Not just he's only making like one or one and a half per game. He's he's taking like four or five of those bad boys a game and he's hitting them at a 45% clip. Right, and maybe we're talking about Paulo as, yeah, he's this offensive weapon, but Jabari has way more upside on both sides. Maybe Paulo's upside in NBA team's eyes isn't as high as potentially someone like Jabari who can also become a pest defensively. And if you're inserting him next to Isaiah Stewart and Cade Cunningham, like that is a very fun dream to start thinking about. So I think there's definitely, like we're tying this all together, I think there's definitely a chance that Jabari becomes a serious impact, a serious force for that top pick conversation. Because it's like you're saying, he fits, like he transitions very smoothly potentially to the NBA game. And if, if that frame adds some more muscle, I mean, whoa, we're talking about a really fun, fun prospect. So I love when I actually don't have a clean comp for a player mm-hmm. because I think that speaks to how incredibly unique they are. I don't have a clean comp for Jabari at all. Like you, you can, you can start to piece a few together, but I don't know if there's a cookie cutter answer that's not like a Hall of Fame type player that we want to compare him to. So that again, that stands out to me about how unique of a talent he is. Do you have any sort of comp that that you're trying to to work with for Jabari right now? I mean, I hate player comps more than anything in the world. Um, I've just kind of I've hinted on previous episodes with you. I don't. I'm not saying he's this guy, but I think teams could see him as having like an Evan Mobley impact just kind of that guy that you could play at the four, maybe the five, even though I think Mobley's, you know, just really special as a shot blocker, but that's probably just the impact level, the type of player you're potentially getting. I think NBA teams could get that, but no, I don't have a specific one yet. I I need that for like uh, May or June. I need that dark rabbit hole. I, way I want I want to say this because no one will ever match his intensity and his ferocity as a competitor. But if we're talking about just game, I'm getting some real Kevin Garnett vibes from this dude. Oh, you don't throw that name around light, but I do. No, you don't. I don't don't think I've ever used Kevin Garnett as a cop for for anyone. And like we're going we're going on 11 years of me trying my hand. This I've never used his name before because he's that special. And I'm not trying to shamelessly plug my podcast just because I had to reach out to Nathan about how do I do one by myself? Cause I've, you know, you're the master of chaos when it comes to solo pods. But Two hour pods running through a big board. Yeah, we, we got it. I know. I mean, and I said that same thing. I said, he defends with passion and just chaotic energy. Like he pressures the ball when it's, three-point line extended a big man looks like he has no interest in taking someone off the dribble and you know Jabari Smith's right up in him and he's trying to right like wreak havoc so I, I know what you're saying I think NBA teams will be intrigued by the passion the the tenacity I mean that's something I think 
if you're talking about the upside, why couldn't he have as much upside as anyone in this draft? I think offensively, that's the type of game that you really do want to compare him to because Garnett wasn't necessarily shaking everybody off the bounce, but he was he was one of those guys where he could he could post you up, he could turn and hit that fadeaway type shot. He could easily spot up into into an open jump shot. He even started to mess around with extending his range. He never quite got to three point on the volume that like Jabari Smith is, but Kevin Garnett was mailing in those long twos like nobody's business, especially later on in his career. And we obviously know the type of athlete that he was at his size, dunking over everybody. You see some of the same things from Jabari. Like it, it it's it's crazy that I would ever utter Garnett's. I never thought I would utter Garnett's name. For, for a player comparison like ever. And again, uh, I'll, I'll make this disclaimer one more time so we don't get anybody, we don't get the aggregators out there saying that, you know, Kevin Garnett's the, <laughs> that Jabari Smith's the next Kevin Garnett. I'm not going to compare their attitudes or ferocity. Like, I'm probably never going to see Jabari Smith yell at a sanction, but <laughs> just we're, we're talking just games. Right. It's, they're, they're eerily similar. And if you're telling me that's the type of two-way talent I can get in the draft, why wouldn't you take him with, with, with the number one overall pick? Like I, I think Chet's the Chet comparison to Mobley, I think is a little more apt. In that makes sense. To me. Yeah, for, sure, and I, for and, sure. And I don't, and I don't hate, I don't hate the Paolo Bencaro, Carmelo Anthony type of comparison either. Although I don't know. I don't, I don't think, I don't think Paolo's that fluid. I don't think he's that fluid. And you talk about some of these these concerns about his size and his weight and some of these cramping type of concerns. I don't know if that's something that, that fully goes away. There, there's just something about his body and the way that he moves and how he moves that kind of moves me off of that cop, although they do like to score from similar spots on the floor. I don't know, Tyler. The more I think about it, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about Jabari, then Chet, than Paolo. Am I crazy? No. I, 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 it's funny because it, ever since I did that episode and I said it on the air, I was just like the same exact thing as you. I was been like, why not Paul? I mean, why could it seems drastic Jabari? to move Paolo from one to three and not yeah. Chet, but I don't know. You and I have kind of just liked Chet this whole time. And I, I was too chicken to put a number one on my first big board, I didn't have the balls of steel like you did, but there's, there, there's just, there's just something about Chet. I can't shake it. I just really think he's going to be a special NBA player. And he's, he, I, I don't think the size is going to hold him back. I think his body's going to be just fine. Doesn't have previous injury history. I think he's going to be just fine. But Jabari, I, I really don't feel like I'm subscribing to groupthink. I, the, this is this is how I'm coming away honestly from my evaluations and from watching the tape, looking at the numbers. I just can't I can't get it out of my head, Rucker. What, what what do you think about that order? No, I don't I don't think it's that crazy of an order. I I still believe a lot of people are going to have Paulo hired just because of the numbers, and that's okay. I understand why, but I just I think the impact, the basketball IQ, the awareness. I'm probably going to. I'm probably going to be drunk in love with, you know, Chet all year just because he's going to have plenty of these games where he has, you know, 12 points, six rebounds, but it's what he's doing. It's how he's impacting the game. And I think you just can't chase stats when you're watching Chet. So I understand completely if you have that order, anyone that has, you know, Paulo above Chet, no matter what, I get it. But I do think 
we need to start talking about Jabari potentially leaping both of them because I don't think it's that insane. I, I mean, what else does this kid need to do? He is doing it on both sides. And I think when we're talking about Paulo, Paulo's fantastic offensively. He's a force. But we're not seeing this type of defense like we're seeing from Jabari. And I think with Chet, you're getting the defense. Paulo, you're getting the offense. And Jabari's saying, I'm doing both. Why not me? You know, and that's something we gotta we gotta entertain. My last question about Jabari in this race, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you off guard a little bit here. I I love curveballs. I want an honest opinion. Okay. I've been struggling with determining if there really is one, forget multiple, if there even is one tier one caliber player Ooh. in this draft class. And when I say tier one, I'm talking about MVP. Like this is a dude that can carry a team to new heights when it comes to being on a really good or championship level team. And really interesting mix of three guys at the top. But even if we put Jabari number one, I don't know if I'm ready to call him a tier one caliber player. Now, if he lives up to a Kevin Garnett type ceiling, then he does move into that category. If he moves up to that level of a ceiling, but it is, it is a little tough to come out and fully, you know, puff my chest out and say that, yeah, this guy's, this guy's going to be on track to win an MVP someday. Like he's going to be making MVP ballots. Like I felt that way much more comfortably about Cade and even Jalen Green last year. And people can look at me and say, I'm crazy about Jalen Green. Well, they, they might, I might be able to look at them back in, in two years time and, and point to them and say that they're crazy that they thought that, but I don't feel that same way as strongly as I do with these three guys, where, where, where are you kind of at feeling, feeling that out? Yeah. I mean, I've always, I have a lot of respect for everyone that does the tiers because I just can't do it. I don't know how you guys do it. Um, it's, I think uh, it's a lot easier than ranking players. Oh, to I, be honest I, with you. I think opposite. I don't know how people do tiers. I, I would be, you know, throwing a tennis ball against the wall, trying to debate if someone should be in a tier or not. I don't know. It, it's early. I would probably say it's too early to see if any of them are at a tier one status. I mean, you're, that's talking like franchise altering presence that like you're saying, carrying the team to playoffs, stuff like that. I mean, that's a really rare tier. I would say I probably had Cade in that tier if I did a tier system. Um, well, tier two for me would be like like a, yeah, a max contract tiers. type of – tier two would be like max contract player, all-star caliber player. I would say that, I could see all of them in tier all two. All of them as being tier two. That's that's kind of what I'm feeling as well. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm calling anybody a tier one. I feel that way. I would say, I would say Jabari's probably trending towards tier one, which is crazy to think of, but – I would feel the best about potentially putting him in tier one. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep the spicy take at that. So everyone could come attack me. I, what do you think? Are you, is there anyone that you would feel the best about putting in tier one? I think Chet could maybe be there, but that's also me. If Chet's body fills out a little bit, he adds the strength. Like I think he's going to, I don't know. What about you? I kind of feel the same way. I think, I think, which is Kyle, wild for this topic, which it, is it, crazy. It, it is, it is like 
I think I'm pretty off the Paolo driving the race for for like a potential tier one position. Like as great of an offensive player as he could turn out to be, I just don't know if he's going to reach that upper echelon as a scorer and as, and as an overall impact player to where we say he's a tier one guy. Like Carmelo Anthony, even if he reaches that ultimate apex and that pe- when people want to throw out the name Carmelo Anthony, first of all, they don't even realize how good of a player that is. Yes. But even if he reaches that level, is that definitely a tier one level or is that tier two? Like Carmelo right. Anthony was a perennial all-star, one of the best scorers in the game, but did he ever really make the impact to drag a team to championship level heights right he never took a team to the finals and whether that's his fault whether that's the fault of his supporting cast whether it's the fault of the front office for not putting the correct there's so many different arguments you can get into that but like that tier one should be reserved to the guys who not only have some of the highest ceilings but they also have the ability to raise everyone else's floor right and raise everyone else's floor up closer to them you can you can start to see that with a Cade Cunningham. Maybe maybe my argument for Jalen Green last year wasn't that he's an ultimate floor raiser in the sense of he's passing the ball all over the court, making everybody better, keeping the ball moving, but he's also one of those guys who we know he's one of the hardest workers on the team, if not the hardest worker. He's one of those good guys to have in the locker room who's going to push everybody else around him. He is that level of competitor. So that's kind of what I can mean in that sense as well. I don't get that same feeling from Paolo in either in either respect. But the way that Chet plays the game, his impact on the defensive end, him being the captain of a defense, the way Jabari plays the game, how we've already talked about him defensively, how offensively, I I don't think we've seen the best of what he's going to be offensively, not even close. He, he's just scratching the surface of how good he can be offensively, and that's why I think we'd probably elevate him into that conversation. But yeah, if there was going to be a second name, I think Chet would probably be the other guy. And then after those three, that's when we start talking about Jay Nivey and we start putting Jay Nivey's name in there. And I know we didn't plan to talk about Jay Nivey in this conversation. You can always throw me curveballs, Nathan. I'm always ready to rock. Come on. On this podcast, but I... I don't know. I, I without without the consistent pull up jump shot, I don't think he enters himself into into those categories. I think Jay Nivey's probably the highest end of a tier three for me as I would go. Which tier three for me is like a guaranteed like you're you're a first option through a fourth option on an NBA team. So it's a wider tier. It's a starter level tier, but better than oh, you're just like the the last guy to make the starting lineup on the team. You know what I mean? Like you're not right. just like the throw in starter. So. He's probably the highest end of that tier. Or do you feel differently about Mr. Ivy? Do you think the race for tiers one and two is probably just those three guys? I could see a world where Ivy creeps into two. The problem is is with all he's the guys, he's the best athlete in the draft yes. class. Like let's just say let's get yes. that out of the way. We're not trying to poo-poo Mr. Ivy over here. No, no. We're not trying to give Simon Rath a heart attack because yeah. I feel like I'm already doing that. But Simon Simon probably threw his phone already across the room when you when you <laughs> just said that stuff. But no, I, I think Ivy could creep to two. He he is the best athlete. He reminds me of Morant 
with when you watch him, just how he explodes off all around the court. I think, you know, the draft's always so important about fit. And this top three we're talking about with the big boys, it's all going to come to fit. And I, I don't want anyone thinking this is like me and Nathan, you know, harping on Paulo because I think Paulo's going to be a monster. I, I, if Paulo goes to Detroit and he's alongside yeah, top, top three in a draft class is never anything to see yeah. that. Like, I, I, I don't want to feel like we're, we're being disrespectful because we're not, we're saying that he could very well be a great offensive player in the league. And the, every draft is always such a nightmare when you're getting to like the 10 to 20 range of just like moving guys. This year's going to be such a monster when we're talking about the top three. Cause I, I really do think you're just going to keep going back and forth about all three of them because we thought it was going to be the top two. Now it's like, well, why not Jabari? Like we're talking about. And I just think, we're going to keep getting more of a sample size and we're keep getting Jabari impressive performances. And we're going to keep having that debate of why wouldn't he be a top pick? And, and it's we, all going to come down to the lottery order. We are, it's fascinating. We are going to keep getting a larger sample size, but I think Tyler, you and I have been studying basketball enough. I, I wouldn't say the word the, the absolute top shelf experts on the game, but we, we, we know enough to know that at this point, it's not just about putting numbers on the board. It's not right. just about stat stuffing. It's about overall two-way impact to winning basketball games. Preach. When you, me- when you, when you measure it like that, it's, it's, it's Jabari and Chet in, I, in that race for me. And I think Paolo just falls slightly short of that. He, he, he could be great. He could put up 20-plus points a night. He could grab eight to nine rebounds a night. He could throw a few assists in there. He could whip out the highlight defensive play every once in a while, but in terms of overall impact on that end of the floor, he doesn't have as good a feet as his other guys. He is heavy foot, heavy footed when you compare him to Jabari. I wouldn't say Chet's the most graceful player on his feet either, but he's also seven one. Like there's only right. so much you're gonna ask from him. Um but yeah, Paolo just doesn't have that same level of fluidity as those other two guys do on the defensive end. I don't think he wants it as much as those other two do on the defensive end and that that's going to hold him back. It, it, it just is like it's an offensive driven league to a fault in the NBA nowadays, but the defense still matters. And when you do have guys who can go on the other end and get that stop or help get that stop, that's, that's how these teams win championships. That's how the Milwaukee Bucks won a championship last year because Giannis wasn't just pouring in points on the offensive end. He was doing some stupid ludicrous stuff on the defensive end as well. Right, And I'm not going to say that either of these two guys are going to do the same things that Giannis can do, but in terms of living up to that type of promise, that's what we could be talking about one day with either of those two guys, but not Paolo. And that's, I, that's what's going to set him apart. I think you're spot on because, you know, we're probably not going to see anyone like Giannis. We're, we're never going to see. No, we're never going to. I don't think we're ever going to see another Giannis, and th- that could be up for debate. I think he's that unique. We're never going to see. But right. That that only just echoes your sentiment even more. Go ahead. And for everyone saying it's Victor next year, let's just calm down, okay? I'm trying to get to a point, but um, what I I'm think, saying, I is, think Victor weighs like what a seventh of what Giannis does. But... Exactly. Giannis took a while to become Giannis, so let's let's yeah. calm down first. But um, what I'm saying though is that, that position. You need to do more than just be this offensive force. You also need to contribute defensively, passing. And I think 
with Paulo, like we're saying, we're not just ragging on Paulo, but I think that could have NBA teams could be intrigued with Jabari and Chet because they're going to make more of an impact that way. So we'll see. Um, before we transition, I'm going to throw you on the spot again, Nathan. Yeah, um, give me a curveball. OKC gets the first pick. Who do you take? Jabari. Okay, that's all and, I wanted to know. I think that's e- the curveball. E- even even though. Chet Holmgren is the most Oklahoma City Thunder player ever. <laughs> and Josh Giddy and Chet seems feel, like the best friends. I feel like Josh, Josh Giddy, Poku, and Chet is a lineup that deserves to <laughs> be trotted out in, in Oklahoma City. We at least need like 10 games of those three, and then we could split them up forever. And I know but, where I'm going with the split up. So. But Jesus, that team needs shooting too, in, in, in like the worst way. Yep. And – until Chet starts actually knocking down some of these shots with more efficiency, like you and I buy the stroke, we think it's coming at some point. But until he starts doing it in some of these games, how can how can we argue that he's a better shooter than Jabari? Like right. the evidence is staring us dead in the face. Like right. there, there's no and and I don't I don't love to let numbers tell the entire story, but there's no question they tell a, a large chunk of the story. So. Just given what that team needs, they need better defensive versatility in the front court. They need reliable shooting. They need a pick and roll dance partner for Shea because they or or Giddy because they still don't have that. Right. My God, can, can you imagine if they would have taken Shengun last year? No, I can't, and <laughs> I'm still upset about it. And that was my guy, and that's why I like Nathan. Can you imagine Shea, Shea and Shengun together just just constantly whipping out chaos out of their ass just every <laughs> single night? Like I. I'd be so happy. I really would. But I think that's whatever. why we love No Ceiling so much as me, you, and Corey were just humongous Shangoon guys. So we're like, yeah, this is going to work. We all agree with each other. You, you Listen, man, you either saw it or you didn't. You either yeah, saw it or you didn't. It, 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 and I understand everyone that didn't, but I, I loved it. So. Uh, all right. Yeah, we, we, we got to move on because I, I, I didn't only write about Jabari Smith this week. <laughs> to, to, we can talk about this for three stay. hours. <laughs> I'd be, we probably will end up talking about it for three hours at some point, but let, let, let's move into a little bit of the other section of the column. So okay. I wanted to specifically point out some players who, whether it was me who had an overreaction about them, whether it was an overreaction that I observed elsewhere, there are some guys who moved on my board, moved on other people's boards, maybe for the right reasons, maybe for the wrong reasons. Is this a portion of the column where I'm probably just going to eat a shit ton of crow? Probably. But let's let's walk through it together. Let's look at some things together. So let's start with Mr. Griffin. Yes. Let's start with AJ Griffin at Duke because I, I, I think I was the only person on the team who had him ranked in the 20s. I think all, all the rest of you guys stood pat with his ranking. If I'm I correct. I think right? someone else had him high, but I don't know about 20s. But I, I feel like someone had him near the late teens. But yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You The majority the majority of everybody held stock on this. Right, 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 they're right. They're like they're like he he's coming off of all these injuries. He had to figure out how to adjust his game into a college system. They were going to bring him along slowly. This is this is this was always going to be part of the plan. And I bought into some of the rumors that were swirling around that he wasn't practicing well because he didn't have a great feel for the game. He wasn't understanding what was going on in practice. He wasn't able to capture some of the playbook. But now you look at his stats. 
you look at what he's done, and I pointed this out in my column, when he's actually played 19 or more minutes per game, right, when, when Coach K has actually let him out of the doghouse a little bit, he's played really well. He's right. putting up 13 points per game, three rebounds, almost two assists, shooting 65.5% from the field. Goodness gracious. He ranks high. Again, he doesn't have the most diverse shot profile you could ever see on Synergy, but pretty much every shot type that he's taking, he's he's making in high volume. He rates out really well in Synergy. Now he's starting to pick some things up, as we noted on film, some of the last few games, starting to pick it up defensively, playing his angles much better, using his size, his length. I mean, we already knew the 6'6 house that he is. Nobody's going to push him off a spot very easily on the wing. You're really starting to see that two-way type of potential star-level impact with Mr. Griffin. And we sat here preseason, and we said that if we're just judging these guys off pure talent, he was a top-five talent in this class. I don't think anybody would put up much of an argument about that, especially if the jump shot's going to start to fall. Well, the jump shot is falling. When he's getting the playing time, it's falling in spades. So I know I overreacted. Was I that wrong in overreacting? Or, yeah, was I an idiot or not, Tyler? Was I, was no. I an idiot or not? I think you might – here's a, here's a uh, mind melter for all the listeners and Nathan. I think you potentially might be overreacting about overreacting. Yeah, I mean, let that one process. I think every concern, caution, anything about AJ Griffin is warranted because there's like, I think his evaluating's very fun. It's easy. Like, it's okay. I'll change that. It's not easy because it's very uh, challenging on your mind, but like, we can, we can do it from home. We can watch film as much as we want. Um, we can go watch the games in person. There's also going to be intel, which is really, really important. And I think the intel with AJ Griffin is going to swing or slide his entire draft stock. So I think that's going to be one of the most important intels that we potentially can get when draft season gets really close. Because something's going on, and it's weird and frustrating and annoying. And I understand everything you wrote about in your column because. We don't see him for like a couple games. And then all of a sudden we see this and he looks fantastic. The legs look like they're starting to have life. He looks like he's starting to believe in his body. You know, you know, we've talked about before. We have to remember he came back kind of early from a knee, you know, a preseason knee injury. And I'm like you, I'm like, okay, is he in the doghouse? you know, the rumblings like you're saying about him not practicing well, or there's something going on because maybe they're just revving him up. Um, I'm not sure, but I don't think you're crazy because evaluators, draft guys, we've, we've been so pumped to watch him and we're getting teased by Coach K and Duke because like he Well, he those rumblings. Rumblings had to have been false though, because there's no yes. way that there's no way that you're shooting almost 66% from the field in the games where you've actually gotten minutes and you don't know how to pick your spots. Right. And you don't know how to operate within an offense. That you, you don't just get that hot. Right. I mean, and you don't stay like that hot. Like when he's playing, he's producing. And it's just frustrating because it's it seems like when they have like a tough opponent, he doesn't play. And then when they have like a lower competition opponent, they rev up the minutes. So I'm like, 
okay, so are you strategically trying to kind of get them prepared for the second half of the season and the tourney? Like, what is the, what's the plan of action here? Are, are you just trying to build some confidence with his knee? I, I don't know. So I don't think you're crazy to overreact. Um, I still think there's chance that someone could be not sold on this because we're seeing him do really well against lower competition, but it's the flashes we're seeing. Oh, by, by the way, he, ha- he has played 144 minutes and he only has two turnovers in those 144 minutes. Yeah, so that's pretty good. <laughs> that, I'd say that's pretty good, too. In terms of like understanding what you're doing on the court, I I think that's a pretty good indicator as to this guy's not, uh, you know, dumb as a bag of rocks. Right, so. and maybe, you know, because you, you saw his last recent game where he really stood out, you know, he's crashing for offensive rebounds. He's flying yeah. all over the place now. Like, there definitely seems to be some improved comfort and confidence with his lower body or you know ability because he's, he's still showing some shiftiness so maybe duke's just being careful and cautious maybe they're thinking the long-term approach of the tourney i don't know but he's fascinating to me um i'm still believing in the talent i definitely want to get to a position where i feel comfortable moving him back up even more but i'm still kind of in that wait and see approach I don't think you're crazy, Nathan. I don't think you're crazy for having him that low because no, I'm going to take the L though. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I took the L. I I will happily take that L because I think we all want Mr. Griffin to succeed. And no Um, one has the pride to take an L. So I really appreciate you taking an L there. Takes a big man to do that. Now we were talking before we started this podcast. I know damn well I'm not taking an L on Payton Watson. How does it feel to to potentially be able to say when it's all said and done that you saw the career freshman year game for Peyton I Watson? Mean, pretty pretty strong. Me and Albert <laughs> might add that to our resume. It's it's just the complete opposite story of AJ. But uh, go ahead, go ahead, help help me help you. Ugh. I mean, I mean, Peyton's only he, he's only playing just shy of four uh, just shy of fourteen minutes per game, so that's not great. He's played in one hundred twenty four total minutes on the season, except where A.J. Griffin, yeah, he's played 144, so only 20 more minutes than Peyton. But, again, given all the limitations that we just talked about with A.J., he's also going the opposite way. Now he's starting to get more playing time. Peyton Watson's getting less playing time. He's getting less and less playing time. That game against Bellarmine, where he had he was 9-12 from the field, he scored 19 points, he played in 20 minutes that game. He hasn't hit that 20-minute mark since. He's went from 20 to 16 to 11 to 10 in his last two. So, and by the way, he's thrown up an 0-4 in his last four games. He's 0-12 from the field in his last four games. He does not look nearly as good as I would have thought on the defensive end either. I think I pointed out his total percentile ranking on defense by Synergy is not bad. But it's not excellent to carry his, I, I believe his total offensive percentile is like nine. Or something right. like that. He, he's not. He's not getting it done on the offensive end. He does not seem anywhere near comfortable within the flow of the offense. All the shots that you can see him try to get up, especially over the last four games, it's like as soon as he catches that ball, it doesn't matter where he is on the floor. He's going to try to get it up because I, I feel like he's trying to prove something to himself. He's trying to prove something to the coaching staff. Like, hey, I'm very talented. I'm long limbed. I can go over guys. This is what I can do on the floor. Please play me more minutes. And it's just not working out. And I empathize with that a little bit. I really do. Because when you're in a position where you're not living up to your own expectations, 
you're going to consistently look for opportunities to produce more than what you're doing. You're always going to look for chances to prove to everybody else that, hey, I can do this. I'm capable of this. But if the confidence isn't there, if the understanding, if the awareness, if the patience aren't there, then how can we possibly expect good things to come from Watson right now on the court? And, and I don't really know what the answer is, Tyler. I, I really don't have an answer for this situation because if it is purely the fact that similar to a few guys last year in Zaire Williams and Brandon Boston, if he's just lost confidence in what he's able to do on the court, especially offensively, it's going to take him quite a while to, to get that back. And Mick Cronin's out here trying to win basketball games. Right. Mick Cronin is a no-nonsense coach. He's going to play the bets. He wants to win games because this UCLA team is really good when their best guys are firing on all cylinders. They have Jaime Hawkins. They have Johnny Juzang. They're not trying to draw up sets for Peyton Watson to get some easy baskets when he hasn't proven himself worthy of opportunities like that outside of like one game. So do you see a light at the end of the tunnel for, for Peyton Watson this year, Tyler? Do you, do you honestly? No. And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but I... No, it's, it sucks that we have to say something like that. It's, it's terrible. It's nothing... Talk never... about it. what could be viewed as an overreaction, though. Like, uh, could you imagine that we're clipping us that, like two months down the road? We're like, Jesus, these fools. Why do we even talk about Watson? I couldn't be rooting more for us. This clip to be played back in my face in two months. Oh, like, oh Peyton Watson's going to, you know, this is why I hate the preseason buzz is because all of us were like, oh, he's going to be a top seven pick. This is going to be awesome. And the confidence, confidence is everything, especially when you're a young teenager trying to make your way and potentially have a good year in college basketball. And then all of a sudden parlay that into the NBA draft. If you can't build confidence, you're going to struggle. And you're seeing that with Peyton Watson. Yep. And I, I talked about it on the last No Ceilings pod with, you know, Tyler and Alex. We were talking about guys that, you know, almost a panic meter. And, and I said, you know, Peyton was the one guy that I, my panic meter's high. Because he, like you said, McCronin, UCLA, they have title hopes. They're, they're fighting to potentially be a title contender this year. So if Peyton Watson's super raw and not ready to contribute, they're fine not playing him because they have Johnny Juzang. They have Hami Hawkes. They have these pieces that are going to try to contribute to potentially yeah. carry them to the promised land. So I just felt when I first saw him in person with Albert in, in Vegas for that, you know, that tournament little tournament mix up, this Gonzaga, I just was like, I, I have a weird feeling this guy needs another year and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we, the Jaden Ivies, the Benedict Matherins. So here's the thing though. Here's the thing with Peyton Watson though. He, he chose to go to UCLA, he chose to go to a primetime program. That's right. definitely on the swing up. It was a top rank recruit projected top 10 pick coming out of high school. I, I, I can't see a world in which he comes back to UCLA next year. And I also can't envision a world where he would enter the transfer portal. I feel like right. he's definitely going to try to go test the NBA waters. And he's just going to be another one of these guys. Some NBA team might scoop him up in the second round and try to make something out of nothing. Like, I, I feel like that's the only route that I can actually envision this going, unless I'm, I'm wrong about that. No, I, I think you're spot on because you have to start weighing 
okay, what is his move? Does he believe in himself enough and trust UCLA to go back when he's barely getting minutes now? Does he believe, like, I'm like you, why would you transfer if you're struggling to play there? Um, Especially, you know, if Hawkes and Juzang go, maybe he has this idea, okay, maybe I can be more of the guy. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if... You know the G well, right now would be the guy. I mean, right now he's struggling to do the easy stuff. It, exactly, so. and, and I just don't know. Like, yeah, I think he could test the waters. Maybe NBA teams are like, "Hey, it didn't work, but we've seen enough before the UCLA year where we would still gamble on him." I just, I got to this, you know, I got to this part in this podcast with um, Nick and and Tyler where I was like, I don't know where you draft him right now. I, I, if if this continues this way, I don't know if I have him in my top 30. Maybe some playoff team says, we don't care about last year. We're rolling the dice on the, the upside. Like, we have plenty of depth. We'll just develop so them the, the, for So this year. whole portion of the podcast is about overreaction specifically. Right. So if we were to drop him out of a top 30, when we already let him free fall to late teens to in the 20s on a board, are we – are we really overreacting at that point? Or do you feel like in this moment in time, it's justified? It's a sizzling take for some people listening, but I think if you start putting together everything and you think about it, no, I don't think it's an overreaction. I I think it's warranted right now. If you've watched the whole year, you just see how raw he is and how much, you know, work needs to be done. I think he, I don't know if you can draft him in the top 30. Because like, Chad's unless, piece of advice that, that he gave us when, when I had him on the podcast was like, don't always let your big board be a power ranking. Right. Except at the same time, if I, I, I don't necessarily think that we do that here at No Ceilings. I don't necessarily think any of us do that in the first place. But even if we look at this through that lens, if we're projecting this out, we, we just laid out the path as to why we believe the situation's probably not going to get better. Like until UCLA finds ways to get Peyton Watson, actually catch the ball more near the basket versus having him catch it, you know, out the elbows or having him catch it in transition, like starting out at the three point line and having to come in and do something off the bounce or force up a jump shot. Like until they get him more active around the basket, he's likely not going to see the ball go through the hoop a lot. And if that's the case, his confidence isn't going to get any better. So it's like, if there isn't a situation or, or, or a scenario where we see this turning around, yeah, I, I think that's why this isn't an overreaction or like a power ranking type of move. I think it absolutely is justified. Right. And, and every year there's this prospect that gets super hyped in the preseason and it just doesn't click. I mean, and, you know, Jaden McDaniels was a top five buzz guy. Luckily enough, he still showed enough throughout the year where he got drafted towards the end of the first round, but he was also getting playing time. We can't even get, you know, Watson on the court for extended minutes. So that's what I'm saying. Like, does he become this guy that NBA teams are like, we've seen too much of the tools and the potential that we would roll the dice on him in the 20s? I don't know, because those playoff teams also might be in situations where they're, we need a piece to help. You know, we're dealing with cap situations. All of these questions could come. So I'm like you, I... I think he's trending quickly towards being outside the top 30. And it's not that I'm not rooting for him, but if you're playing less than 10 minutes a game and you're not producing, I mean, what, he's gone 0 for 12 in his last four games from the field? I mean, I, I just, 
I'm rooting for them to turn it around. I, it's not like I'm rooting against them, but uh, I can I'm, literally I'm, picture you just flipping on Peyton Watson film after this podcast is over, just playing Journey. Don't stop believing. Don't that. stop like, believing. I, I, I can picture you doing that, but I always root for these kids. It's not like I'm ever rooting for. We any always of root them for the fail. kids, even you know, though I hate I don't saying like. negative stuff about these guys. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think everybody realizes how hard it actually is to get to where they're trying to go. Right. But. Let's move to Jalen Duran. Yeah, and I, 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 I know that we've talked about Jalen Duran a few times on this podcast. When we were sitting around the war room trying to figure out where we were going to mock Jalen to, Corey was like screaming for this man to be picked pretty much every pick after the fourth pick, mm-hmm. or I think even at the fourth pick and, and, and below. I kept him eighth on my big board. I, I didn't quite know what to do with Mr. Duran, And the reason why I would say this is near an overreaction is because on a next edition of the big board, had he not started to show a few things in these last few games, mm-hmm. I would consider moving him to like late lottery territory. I, it's like, I, I don't oh, know. There he I, is. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to do with him. Like he's, you, you watch him in some of these games, especially early on in the season, it's like he had one dominant performance against Western Kentucky where he had 22 points, 19 rebounds. Outside of that, I even watched him up close in Brooklyn with Corey against Iowa State. And, yeah, the dude looks like a shit brick house. But if he's not going to take better advantage of his physical gifts, call for the ball, get more involved on offense, if it takes that long for the motor to get hot defensively as well, why am I going to invest a high draft pick in you? Like, like you, you got to prove it to me a little bit that you want it. And now we've started to see a few signs of life. The motor's been running hotter, quicker in these last two games against Murray State and Alabama. You see some of the clips online. You see some of the things he's doing defensively. Even on offense, you see a little bit of the passing game start to show itself out of the short roll. Like, you're starting to see some of these skills t- come together for Mr. Duran. But – he still lacks touch from the outside. He's still shooting abysmally from the free throw line. The processing on offense, albeit he's made a few nice dishes now, but the speed is like really slow. It's not coming together for him. I don't. I. I, I really don't know where to be at on on Mr. Dern. I'm trying. I'm trying to avoid an overreaction. Is what I'm trying to do in writing about him in, in this portion of the column, but. Are, are we overreacting to saying that maybe he doesn't deserve to be in the conversation for like top six at all at this point by keeping him where we're at? Like where, where should we be in the during conversation? So I know you wanted me to bring a little more nuance to this, but I feel like we, we've outlined what his game has been up to this point. I don't think there's any more nuance to add to it. Yeah. And I don't think it's, it's hard really to, there's definitely an idea, a consensus about Duran, and it's hard to not repeat yourself about it, but... He's a big I, whose skill set is built on the motor running hot when the motor's running cold. What do we got? Exactly, and I think we're starting to see the motor heat up, and that's what yeah. we wanted to see, and that's what I love. Like, that's where I was... I was probably lower on him than a lot of us. I think You said you had eight. I think I might have had him ninth on my, my first big board because I'm like you... I don't know what to do with them. Like, I, I don't see the top five, but I see it more towards the top 10, where if you're believing in the youth, the tools, the p- physical profile, the explosiveness, I get it. Like, if you're just swinging on upside towards the top 10, that's an exciting pick. 
but now it's starting to show a little bit more of like, okay, the energy, the motor, the potential is all kind of around there. So now I'm, I'm getting a little bit more excited. Like you're saying the, you know, the, the anticipation, the translating, you know, the passing vision, it's a little slow, but we're starting to see flashes of it. So I'm, I'm being more intrigued, but I think overreaction, I still think he's just kind of outside the top six for me. And, and I've said this probably with you and some other guys on our no ceilings team. Like I think that six to eight range is someone's going to need to go grab it because I think there could be a lot of movement. Wow. In that heart. I, I, I think Ken, Kendall Brown has been impressive. Right. Right. I right, think right. Mr. Mr. Matherin is now fully entrenched in yes. that conversation. Johnny Davis, Johnny Davis has somehow emerged into that conversation, which that, that I should have written about Johnny Davis again, because that whole narrative seems like a massive overreaction. But the more and more you watch the tape, the more like, we're getting enough of a sample size here. Like, yes, that, that, now it's really starting to come together. But yeah, like in that range, I mean, those are the names that we're really starting to throw in there. And then it's, then it's Duran. And where does Duran rank against perimeter shot creators, potential two-way wings that are much more in vogue in, in where the NBA is going? And when we're talking about Duran with those other guys, like those other guys have shown so much this year that that's why I'm like, no, Duran's behind that. And those guys are still young. Those are all, you know, sophomores mainly. And, you know, Kendall Brown, freshman. He, I just think we're talking more of Duran towards the the bottom of the top 10 than, you know, the top five, where I know a lot of people are still super high on him just because of how exciting he could be. But there's just so, you need to see a lot more. And it's very raw. I understand anyone that's extremely high on him. But I, I just think those other guys have shown so much that that kind of pushes Duran down the board a little bit. Maybe even more. You, you don't know. I mean, I, I do think there's still some some time for someone else to make a statement to maybe even climb ahead of him. So if Memphis had a real point guard mm -hmm. on its team, someone who could feed him the ball much more effectively to – Get those shot attempts up. Six point four field goal attempts per game. Are you kidding me? Right. You're you're six ten, six eleven. Excuse me, two hundred fifty pounds. I don't want to sell you short, Jalen. My my apologies over there. But you're you're six eleven, two fifty, and you're only putting up six shots a game. Like, if he did have a better point guard, he's able to get him the ball more effectively in his spots. Who's a little more engaged in calling him for some some pick and roll sets at the top of the arc. Who who can when when Jalen does try to post up, somebody can actually feed him the ball in there without it getting knocked away so they can actually throw an entry pass correctly like if if those things were happening would this be a completely different conversation or do you think that duran not being as willing to be active you think that would still hold him back i think it would probably make us feel better if he was getting way more of a sample size early on just because we could see more touches per game but now we're getting the limited sample we're still trying to figure out how far away he might be as a prospect. And it's like you're saying, like the point guard situation with Memphis has just been a kind of a nightmare. I don't know. I just think it's a long way to go. Um, he shoots 68% on twos, man. I know. Like, like only taking six shots a game. Like, Jesus, pump those. Those are rookie numbers. Right. Like, you got to pump those up. Pump those rookie numbers up. Shout out Wolf of Wall Street. No, but I, I hear you because – I just don't know. I, I mean, you're getting, yeah, he's playing all these games. He's playing all these minutes, but it's like, you're saying we're not getting a lot of shots. We're not getting a lot of touches. So 
are NBA teams going to buy into that? Is he going to be one of these pre-draft guys that just starts scorching again because teams are getting a in-person look at him in workouts? Like, obviously, he's going to be impressive in workouts when he's going one on zero and dunking everything can from I, twelve feet. You know, can I throw a name at you and, and see who you would rather have? Yes, of course, Nathan. You can always ask me anything. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> not, not in this question, but just be careful what you wish for. Jalen Duran. Okay. Who's my Garuba? Oh, gosh. Do you want me to be really chaotic? Garuba went, Garuba went, what, 24th last year? I would take Garuba. And I'd still Come take Garuba or Jalen Duran. All right. Rockets right. Twitter, I'm with you. Come talk to me, baby. No. And but we're both in the same boat on that one. But it's just because I think Garuba has the outside shot potential. I well, think he, he has much more he has much more skill off the bounce. Much he is a more. quick decision maker with the ball. He can actually pass it. And the motor. The, the motor mo- with Garuba motor is power. Yes. So call me crazy. Play this clip five years from now and tell me I'm an idiot. I hope I hope everyone's doing it. And Durant's touch from outside, like if we're gonna make Bam out of bio comparisons, like if that was the comp coming in preseason, Bam, I understand he never really flashed the jump shot and volume at Kentucky, but when he did take like when you, if you go if you go back and watch the film on the limited amount of jumpers that he did take, you 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 could clearly recognize what you're looking at. Like you're looking at somebody who's going to eventually be able to shoot in some capacity, whether that's from like 12, 15 out, eventually like that shot's going to be there for him. I watch Durant in warmups. I watch him warm enough for the free throw line. I look at his mechanics. Like I, I, I don't believe in the shot at all. I don't think the shot's ever going to come for him. And that's a great point you made about Garuba, which only adds more fuel to the fire. I, Nick had a good point. He said, you know, cause everyone was given Durant the preseason baby Dwight unfair comparisons and Nick well, said see he, that that is the comparison though like that's that's a much more apt comparison to me because Dwight was Dwight was this post player who was not skilled in the post but he's just so physically imposing eventually he's going to find a way to, to to put a double double on the board and it's mm-hmm. like that's great but how impactful is that going to be to winning games and, and he was absolutely dominant on the defensive end, which was why his Orlando Magic team went to the finals because he right. was that dominant. Do we ever? I I can't see Duran ever getting to that point from a motor perspective, at least not from what I've seen. And I think Dwight had some lethal quickness when it came to like expanding his post arsenal. But Nick also said he's like I get more DeAndre Jordan vibes, and I was like that's not a crazy one. Like I could see that, but how are we taking that? Like, are we thinking DeAndre Jordan's a top five pick? Like, I, I, he wasn't even when he got drafted. So I could see, I don't know. I just don't see the, like, franchise-altering presence or potential. I, I could see a really good defensive interior presence. But I just don't know. I can't put a number on it right now. Because I also understand, like, we always have to remember how young he is. But yep. He's just trending towards the, you know, bottom of the top 10 for me. And a top 10 pick still pretty good for the limited sample size we've seen from him, but we'll I don't see. know, man. I still I, I still might drop him further, but that's It's that's, tough. He's just, a tough one because I'm always scared with bigs like that because you you start entertaining like well Mark Williams, Christian Coloco, Jalen Duren. Like what why is Duren so much higher than those guys? And I know that's another conversation for another day, but 
that's the the waters we're starting to circle you know we're we're sharks from jaws circling the waters right now but i don't know i'm like you it, it's he's a tough one tough one we 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 spent a ton of time talking about draft tiers mentioning oh jay Ivey, oh and things that i didn't even expect to talk about so we're actually we're we're going to save Caleb Houston for another podcast okay okay we've okay. already talked about Mr. Houston i thought you were going to throw Durant in the no. tier conversation i was like please no. don't do that to me no, no, you you don't even want to know where I might have him in a, in a tier conversation, but we'll save so, Caleb for another day. Caleb, Caleb's a long talk. It's we we do have to end this podcast with me taking one more massive L, at least as it looks right now. I love so, this. This is a good tradition. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you finally get to look at me and say you 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 were the one who was like, I hate saying Nate was right. I hate saying Nate was right. Like all these times on the podcast, now you can finally look at me. It's like the Simpsons kid meme. <laughs> <laughs> Max Christie. Yeah. I had Max Christie at number 12 on my board. No, we're you're you're out on him already. No, I Nathan, don't, don't give up. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk you back into it. Come on. Not number 12. No, not number, not number 12. 12. I still no, I, not, not number 12. Jesus. Do you think he's a top 20 pick right now? He's got some work to do. No, okay, I get it. Uh, he's got some work to do. So, his, so let's look at his last three games. All right, not, Maybe. not, not against competition that's setting the world on fire. Against right. Toledo, Minnesota, and Penn State, four of fourteen, three of nine, two of seven. Those are from the field overall. Okay, two of seven, one of six, one of five from the three-point line. Okay, those are not good numbers, Tyler. No, they're not. For good somebody numbers who's been billed as a lethal off-ball movement shooter. Those are not good numbers, similar to some of the qualms that people had about Caleb Houston. Right. Now, to Christie's credit, I like how he sets himself up for shots. I like what he does off the move. I like the looks that he takes. He, he, he doesn't take a lot of bad shots. They just aren't falling. Right. And he hasn't been the most dynamic creator, creator off the bounce. That's one thing where... I got a little bit of optimism earlier in the season where like in the Butler game, for example, he had a right, really yes. nice runner in the lane. He had a really nice up and under move in the game against Kansas in the garden. Like he showed some of that stuff early on, but those types of scoring moves have been few and far between. And now he's just struggling all over from the field overall. He's not even shooting well from two. He's not shooting well from three. He's not playing well defensively. I mean, he could he could be playing better defensively in my opinion, given his six six size. I think he actually moves pretty well, but he just hasn't been as competitive on that end as I think he can be. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I can consider him a top twenty pick as of this moment. Um, his his pick and roll play, his efficiency scoring and assisting out of pick and roll, and then his isolation defense have been the two things that are like trying to keep me around. Right. And the fact that he sets himself up for good shots. If more of those are falling, maybe we're having a different conversation. But am I overreacting if I drop him too far? Does that feel too power ranky? The fact that I wanted to be so in on him from the start? Like where where am I at on this overreaction take? I, I don't think if you're talking specifically about dropping him out of the top 20, is that, is that, am I correct with that statement? 
there's there's so many guys, man. There's, and it's it, it's not because I love so many guys. Yes, we yes. talked about on this podcast. It's just there's so many guys, and it's yes. like if you're not playing up to a certain level, why should I keep you in this spot? Well, and I think this is why this is a big part of draft season because I think this is the movement type time of the year. I think this is where prospects are making their move, where it's. I might have been considered an early second round pick. Now I might be moving up. I've been on fire. I might be moving up towards the late teens. You know, I think that's the type of jump and movement you see with boards. You can just say Christian Coloco. You don't have to. You don't have to. No, use no, no, no. I'm not. Just, I'm not just talking, talking about, about Coloco. I'm not talking about Coloco. I'm talking about like Johnny Davis three weeks ago and Johnny Davis now. Completely different type of prospects. Like there's guys like that that you have to start paying serious attention to. So I also think. I've been waiting for Christie. Like I loved what the game you're talking about against Butler. I was so in awe of some of the flashes, just like the quickness, the, the shiftiness, how he could, you know, stop on a dime and hit a little bit, step back and off the drive. Like I was like, Whoa, there's something special and fun there to watch. But I kept waiting and telling myself it's going to come around. It's going to come around. It hasn't. So now we're kind of trending towards, okay, if the shots are good, like you're saying, like he, I was very excited to do a deep dive on his film coming up. And if the shots are good, but they're not falling, well, we need to start seeing them fall a little bit or else. A little just, bit, a little yeah, bit, a little right? Bit. Like if he was hitting, maybe if he was hitting like, I don't know, 33% from three point range, maybe that'd be a little bit better than, than right. 26 like, if he you know has I mean? one game where he goes nuclear, I think all of a sudden we start saying, okay, maybe he's just... We pull it back a little bit. Yeah. yeah, maybe he had a crazy month. And, you know, guys can have terrible stretches, but you're also having a terrible stretch that goes over, you know, two months. Then we start after bringing up some questions of like, okay, maybe that's a, you know, late first round roll of the dice for some team that's like, hey, we... We saw the shots that were struggling. We still believe that he's going to be fine. I don't know. I, those guys are always interesting to me because he's, he's got to hit the. He's got. He has to hit the shots, though. I know yes. the runner's been falling a little bit. I know the runner looks good. That's one of the reasons why we're intrigued. But he's he's six, he's six six, but he's also one hundred ninety pounds. Right, like, right, right, right. Is he even one hundred ninety pounds soaking wet? I'm not sure. That might even Probably be generous not. when you actually look at him. He's in the seventh percentile finishing around the basket. Right. For a reason. He's only taken first of all, he's only taken 14 shots around the basket. So that should also tell you something. Right. But yeah, he's only he's he's five of fourteen on shots inside. That's under 36%. That's not gonna get it done. So right. if you're telling me you are zero threat scoring inside at all or getting to the free throw line, you gotta be hitting perimeter shots elsewhere. Right. And and I think we're not saying he needs to have a game where he goes nine for ten from three. We're just saying we need a game where it's like five for eight, you know, or, or something like that, where we can build off that belief, that momentum, like, okay, maybe it's going to come around. But if you're not hitting shots like that, if you're not attacking the basket, I'm always a big believer. If the shot's not falling, how else are you impacting the game? If he's also struggling defensively and it's like, okay, so how are you impacting the game right now that is still going to intrigue scouts, evaluators, NBA teams? Like, what else are you doing? And if he's not, you know, showing anything specific like that's where you start going okay maybe maybe he's further down maybe he becomes another year guy 
we never know. Maybe he becomes that big sophomore. That's guy. that's I think where he's trending. I yeah, think he's trending towards coming back for another year and probably shooting the lights out because he is skyrocketing. Maybe yes. he adds another ten pounds of muscle in the off season. Maybe he comes back six six two hundred. Body looks better. We talked about some of the quickness, the shiftiness. He's a little more confident in his handle, attacking off the bounce. Maybe all of a sudden he comes back and he's you know he's he's putting up like 17, 18 points per game. Yeah, looking maybe a lot he comes, more confident from the field. Maybe he's next year's Benedict Mathren. You, you never know. It's one of those guys that there's worse places to have to go to than uh, playing for Tom Izzo. I've seen him a game. lot. I've seen him a lot in the twenties. I think Christie was one of those guys. I wanted to make sure I was trying to buy in early on, right? Because of some of the flashes that we saw. And I think this is one of those that's gonna, you know, it's gonna come back to bite me in the ass. Not that this is about right or wrong, but I think sometimes we look at a player and we want to believe that he's what we think he is, but the production is just not there. We try and talk ourselves through the lack of production, but eventually you have enough of a sample size to where it just hits the wall. Like yes. 11, 11 games isn't nothing. Eleven right. games at this point. We're, we're, we're far enough in. Now we're going to get into conference play once we hit early to mid-January. We're going to see if he can make his bones a little more in the Big Ten. But in, in one of the more physical college basketball conferences in the country, we already pointed out his, his lack of physicality, his, his lack of ability to finish inside. Like I don't think that's going to get any better. So he might just be one of those guys that, as you pointed out, you're right, he's better served come back for another year. Yeah, I mean, we're reaching the half, halfway point, you know, and that's a that's a big – that's a big sample size when you get in halfway in the year, because then you all of a sudden go, okay, now we're going to compare the second half of the season. But I'm like you it, beginning of the year when I watched him right away, I was like, Oh, this might be one of my guys. And cause I just love the idea of him. I wanted to be a believer right away. And I think even with our last big board, I probably had him higher than maybe I should have. Maybe he deserved, but I was just kind of like, I was betting on the swing. I was betting on the solid stretch coming up and it just hasn't happened. So if it doesn't, and you got to start moving them down and, you know, maybe like we're saying, maybe he just becomes one of those guys that has to go back for another year. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of guys have successful second years, you know, two I'm of glad them are going to go talk the top about, 10. No, go I'm ahead. glad we got to talk about Kirsty and some of these guys going to feel like we've we've sort of talked about some of the same prospects week in and week out. And I think that's as a no ceilings branded collective in general. I yes. think we're trying to branch out a little bit. So I'm just warning you, Tyler, for my audience up front, you better start doing your homework because I plan on going deep. One, like, one, once we get back from the, the the Christmas and the New Year break, we're going deep, and we we, we got to start pumping out some more names. Like these people, these people want me to live up to the draft deeper name for a reason. We got to give the people what they want. We can no, pass the same 20 guys. I'm, I'm ready to get wild. Um, you know, my family's excited for me to come home and I was like, well, I'm going to lock myself in a room and catch up on some film. So I hope you guys aren't too excited for me to socialize. So yeah, bring, bring the heat, Nathan. I'm ready to get weird. My, next my, my manager was like, are you going to do anything fun with these extra days off that, you, that you're taking next week to work? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to lock myself in a room and do more work. Does that sound like fun? Yeah. Yeah, are you kidding me? It's called called synergy and drafts. What else right. are you talking about? Right. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast, Tyler. It's time for you to give the no ceilings spiel that you do every week. Go ahead. Yes. Hit with it. We're at no ceilings.substack.com. Um, Christmas this week. What better gift than to give a free subscription to a very very elite 
draft site that's on the roll, uh, a rookie with high potential. But uh, yeah, we're at No Ceilings NBA on all social media. Our YouTube channel starting to heat up, No Ceilings TV. And uh, you can catch me at Backcourt V anytime. And Nathan, I love doing these every Monday. I can't wait to uh, jump back on soon and do a deeper dive. Let's, let's get after it. Let's unlock some names. Also follow the collective on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. Keep an eye out for some teasers for some content that might be coming later in the week. I heard that the the, the Grinch might be stopping by. Oh, he might. Yeah, a little bit might might yes. be might be raining on people's parades a little. I don't know, but that de- 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 definitely be crazy. <laughs> I'm so pumped about that. I can't even describe to people. I was like Grinch Christmas draft. Let's figure it out. <laughs> Def- definitely some. Excellent content coming from us over the next week or two. Definitely stay tuned to this podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Not going to be releasing another episode this week. We're going to keep keep it a little light during the holiday season. However, next Monday, I already have it locked in. I'm going to be recording with Matt Penny. Everybody out there knows who Matt Penny is. He does draft coverage with Sam Cini over on the Game Theory podcast pretty much every Monday. So definitely lock in for that one bouncing some some crazy ideas off of him i know he's excited to come on and and share some thoughts too so make sure you are subscribed have a wonderful holiday everybody stay safe make sure you spend plenty of time with your family if you read my monday column you know that i didn't put any games after the 23rd for a reason go spend some time with your family you filthy christmas animals but that's going to do it for this week's episode hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week stay tuned thanks for checking out